It's just lovely to be back with you. Uh, you're really in good singing voice this morning. That's so nice to be part of. Thank you so much. Last time I was here, I said that I was going to continue, if I was asked back, on a series of studies on the prophet Elisha from the Old Testament. Some folks look at the Old Testament and they think, well, what on earth is it all about? Is it relevant? But actually, it really is. It comes alive and it teaches us so much. So I want to read to you from 2 Kings, um, the next section about the prophet Elisha. And there are two very interesting little incidents which are uh, recorded here. And you might wonder, what on earth have they got to teach us today? Are they relevant at all? Well, I believe they really are. And I hope to explain that to you too. So the heading in my Bible of 2 Kings chapter 2, reading from verse 19, down to the end of verse 25. The men of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up your bald head, they said. Go on up your bald head. He turned round, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out from the woods and mauled forty-two of the youths, and he went on up to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. What an extraordinary passage of scripture to look at on a Sunday morning. Well, let's have a little pray, and we'll ask the Lord to give us an understanding in there with us. Father, we do thank you so much that not only have you left us your word, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. And we want to pray that this morning, as we look at this passage, that you would help us so that each one of us might begin to understand that there is something profoundly relevant for us here. And we pray that we might not just be hearers only, wanting to have our ears tickled, but that we might take what comes from this as coming from your heart to ours. And we pray that you'd help us so that as we learn, that our lives might be changed. That's our prayer, Father, as we say thank you in Jesus' lovely I think we're all very aware of the issues of ecology today, much more than we were when I was growing up all those years ago. In the dim and distant past, people used to subscribe to the, uh, the mantra that the answer to pollution is dilution, uh, is dilution. And as a result, effluent was poured into, untreated into the sea. 
But the sea could only take so much before it was impacted negatively and the fish stocks began to suffer. And today we read about fossil fuels and holes in the ozone layer and, and we're challenged to look at a, a power that is, we're, we're looking at alternative sources of energy uh, because we don't want to damage, further damage the the environment and, and then we're challenged about our lifestyle choices about what we do and how we how we do what we do and we're told that we need to reduce our carbon footprint in order to impact the world in a, in a better way but let me ask you this what do you think the primary cause of pollution is what do you think the primary cause is. Shall I tell you what it is? The primary cause of pollution in this world is sin. It's sin. You mightn't think so, but it is. Because the origins of pain, disease, barrenness, decay, and all are all traced back to Adam's declaration of independence from God. Now, have, I wonder, have you noticed how the media so often fail to focus on, on the cause of the problems and they rarely touch on the real solutions. We, we, we read in the newspapers about the rising threat of Islam and we look back to the bombings in London. But let me ask you, what do you think are the odds, the chances of you being killed by a terrorist activity in the UK? Well, let me tell you, it's you have one chance in 420,000 of being impacted negatively by terrorism in the UK. One chance in 420,000 of being killed by a terrorist. Yet the chances of a baby being killed by abortion in the womb of a British woman today is one in five. I'm not wanting to judge anybody in saying this. I'm just giving you some information. What about what about teenage pregnancies? That was an article from a newspaper that appeared some years ago of a little boy who became a dad at the age of 13. A number of years ago, the government uh, decided that they would abandon a, a project that they had poured 5.9 million people in. It was a young people's development program and it was aimed at reducing the rates of teenage pregnancies. But some research then discovered that the teenagers who took part in that project were actually more likely to fall pregnant than those who didn't. So what's going on in our country? British rates of teenage pregnancies, it's the highest in Western Europe. And each one of those cases is, in truth, a personal tragedy not just for the babies who are conceived, but for the youngsters who are trying to be parents who, and don't know how to be parents because they're only youngsters themselves. And more and more young people are being locked into a cycle of abandonment, emotional chaos and harm. And that in turn is part of a wider and deeper breakdown of the fundamental moral understanding that once kept our society together. You see, the primary reason for this mess is spiritual. 
And if the primary reason for the mess is spiritual, then the solutions, the answers to the mess, have to be spiritual. Now the verses we read in um, 2 Kings about Elisha the prophet, they tell us some really significant things. These two incidences which launched Elisha's ministry actually deal with environmental pollution and moral pollution. Now I want you to stick with me. It's not rocket science, but it's incredibly relevant. So let's think first of all of environmental pollution. Look at verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Well, we know that Elisha the prophet was in the city of Jericho. And Jericho was near the Dead Sea, about five miles west of the River Jordan. And it's interesting to remember that when the Israelites first entered the Promised Land, do you remember they captured Jericho? And the walls fell down. Remember they marched around it and for seven days, on the seventh day they marched around seven times and gave out a big shout in obedience to God. And the people in Jericho must have thought, these Israelites are absolutely nuts. Imagine walking around, what are they sightseeing or something? But when they shouted out, the walls fell down. What happened after that? Do you remember what Joshua said in chapter 6? At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord, is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn son, will he lay its foundations, at the cost of his youngest son, will he set up gates. Well, clearly the people had forgotten that. Or either they had chosen to ignore it because they went back to Jericho and rebuilt the city. But there were ecological problems. Isn't it interesting that the folks who were suffering from the ecological problems decided to turn to a God follower for help? Isn't that interesting? Now today, the church is rarely consulted about anything. I'm reading a really interesting book about the Second World War, and I think twice during the Second World War, the nation was called to prayer. Can you see that happening today? I can't see it happening today, calling the nation to prayer. But you know, when the first wave of asylum seekers came to Glasgow, the city council decided that all this money was on offer from Westminster. Really grab hold of it. And they grabbed hold of the money. But then they didn't know what to do. So they turned to the churches. And the churches responded in an amazing way. And our stock rose terrifically. The answers to the pressing questions of our day do not lie in government policies. Because the answers to the pressing problems today are spiritual. Because the root cause of the problems today are spiritual. If you were to take time to look at Deuteronomy 28, which we're not going to do, you would see that God curses the land with failure, humiliation, dry climate, 
physical and mental disease, family breakdown, terrorism, barrenness, plunder and robbery. Why? Well, if you go through the chapter carefully, you'll see that there are four simple causes listed. The first cause is the worship of false gods. Doesn't that happen today? Folks are worshipping their brand new computers or their brand new Teslas or, or whatever else it is. The second thing is disrespect for authority, particularly that of parents. Thirdly, lawlessness with its accompanying rebellious behavior. I don't care about society. I'm going to do what pleases me. Don't tell me to wear a mask. Why should I care if I impact somebody else? That's the rebellious. We should be concerned for others. And then fourthly, all forms of illicit and unnatural sex and rampant sexuality. I don't know if you read in the paper a little while ago about a, a, a fellow who worked for the Department of Work and Pensions. He was a, a, a doctor of some kind and he lost his job because he refused to call a great big guy with a big beard madam. And he lost his job and the case is being heard in court at this time. Only righteousness can exalt a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. It is time the nation asked righteous people, how can things be put right? If the people who are put right are put right, then the environment itself will experience remedial treatment. I've never heard uh, a spokesperson for the green issues ever touch on the above four roots of environmental pollution you haven't either. But the men of Jericho, they went to the right man and they received the right answer. You see, Elisha was not a secret believer. He made his presence felt by the way he lived. A man called Vance Havner, an American guy, said, and I'm going to read this to you because I think it's very good, he said, the same church members who yell like Comanche Indians at the football game on Saturday sit like wooden Indians in the church on Sunday. <laughs> there you go. Yes, and frequently for the rest of the week too. It's not just Christians we need. It's Christians of the right kind. These effective agents of change will be marked by three features. You see, I think that what God wants us to be is agents of change in a world that desperately needs to be changed. Elisha was able, with God's help, to effect change. And I think there are three lessons for us that we can take from these verses if we are to be agents of change. The first one is that we are to be clean vessels. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl, bring me a new bowl. I think that God wants us to be clean vessels, vessels of honour set apart for his exclusive use. Set apart from common standards and common use. He wants us to be holy. Do you remember what Robert Murray McShane said? He said, a holy minister is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. And I think that that applies to every Christian. A holy Christian 
is an awesome weapon in the hands of God. And sometimes our effectiveness as Christians is diminished because you and I are defiled by some little sin. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15, 16, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And the Puritan fathers used to talk about our darling sins. Those are little sins that we hold and we, we fondle and we hold close. Our darling sins. Be holy because I am holy. And take special note of that little phrase in that text. It says, be holy in all you do. That's not just Sundays. It's in all you do. It's Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and right through to Sunday. In all you do. God, I think, is looking today for Christians who are prepared to be agents of change. That's the first thing, the first thing that, that God wants. The second thing God wants is salty souls because he said, Elisha said, bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Put salt in it. Well now, salt was acquired in huge quantities from the shores of the nearby Dead Sea. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Dead Sea. I've never been there, but I believe you can float in it. Even if you can't swim, you just can't sink in it because of the salinity in it. Well, rapid evaporation in the hot climate left a 25% uh, saline content. So the water is 25% salt. That's, that's, that's it. Well, uh, when that salt, when the water evaporates as it does in the hot climate, it leaves lots of salt lying around. But if the salt is left lying around, over time, the effects of rain and sun on the salt leaches the saline content out of it and it leaves only a useless grit behind. And Jesus spoke of salt that has lost its saltiness, salt which is fit for nothing. Now, in ancient times, salt was highly prized. We say today that a man is worth his salt. Salt is the word from which we get our English word salary from salt. The Romans used to pay their legionnaires with, with salt. And salt is used primarily for two purposes. It's used as a preservative. So they would put salt on meat or on fish to preserve it because salt destroys bacteria and so it slows down the process of decay. So salt is pretty useful for that. I, I don't know if you ever treat yourself to uh, fish and chips fish and chips occasionally? Well, I tell you, you have to put a bit of salt on your chips, don't you? Mm -hmm. Of course you do. Why? Because it makes them a little bit tastier. It brings out the flavor. So Elisha took this salt and he threw it into the spring where it was most needed, the polluted stream, the source of Jericho's life. And this seems to be saying Christians need to be active and involved in their community where they have been placed, exercising an influence like salt. And that's what our community needs. And that, that's what God wants us to be. And that 
takes us on to the third little thing that we see about change agents from these verses, and it's to do with authority. This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water, never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. So Elisha spoke with authority. Now, God has given us authority in his word. We are to preach, to pray, to teach, and to testify. God has given us that authority. Now, we know it. It's just the folks outside don't know we have the right to preach to them. So the reality is that we've got to earn a hearing before we preach. And we earn a hearing not just by showing the love and loveliness of Christ, but actually by being the love of Christ in our communities. Elisha's words bring change. And lives are still being changed by the authority of God's word. And God was in all of this. And the water, it says, has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. I'm going off to Tenerife on the 1st of April. I go each year to preach out there. And I just, it's just come to mind that I remember one Sunday evening, an evening service. There wasn't very many people there because in the summers it tends to be holiday makers. In the winter it used to be that a lot of folks who wintered there would come to church, sometimes maybe 400 on a Sunday morning. But this Sunday evening there were very few. But there was this girl, she'd been down at the beach. This, this lady, she was there in Tenerife with a partner. He used to sing around the pubs and the clubs. And she was coming up dressed in her swimming costume and she had a kind of a sarong thing tied around her. Not very good for the old fashion, but that's what it was. It, it wasn't what you would kind of normally wear in, in, in a church setting, but she was walking back up off the beach and she saw the big, big cross outside the church and it was high, so the top of the shopping center. And she just felt, I, I, she felt compelled to come in. And I can't remember what we were looking at that evening, but she came to faith. Then and then I couldn't, it was just the power of God at work. And God's power is still at work. We know that God is sovereign. And we're thinking, God, what's going on in Ukraine, Lord? How can good possibly come out of that? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you, because I'm involved with a ministry called Precepts, which I've told you about before, that we've put through an intensive training to understand how to understand the scriptures. We've had 500,000 folks in Eurasia have gone through this intensive training. And, and many of those are in the Ukraine. Someone has said that there's about 80% Christian in Ukraine. And we wonder what's happening. Well, I can tell you that we had an email from the European director who's on the border of Ukraine with a number of our other staff workers. And there are hundreds of Ukrainians coming to faith as they come across the border. Now, I just wonder what God's going to do with that. I have no idea. But I do know that in the New Testament, when God sent persecution unto Jerusalem, what happened? The saints were scattered all over Judea and Samaria. Do you know what happened then? 
Wherever they went, they gossiped about the gospel. And there grew up little churches all around Samaria and Judea. And as these poor refugees are being dispersed around Europe, I just wonder, is God going to bring the gospel through them to all sorts of places? That wouldn't surprise me. Because our God is sovereign and he's on the throne and he's working out his purposes. How extraordinary. A God of great authority. So the environmental problems. Agents of change. But then he goes on and he talks about, uh, oh, that's a picture of the water in, in um, Jericho today. Fresh water, still good, as the text said it would be. So we move on to think about the moral pollution. And now we know that today either people are for God or they are against him. There's no such thing as spiritual neutrality. It's been, it has been said that God's word impacts people, and it does. It makes some people glad and it makes other people mad. It makes uh, some people, it brings comfort to some people, uh, but others are confronted by it. That's what God's word does. It creates a reaction. Godliness is not necessarily to be equated with niceness. That word does not appear in the list of the segments of the fruit of the spirit. There were times when Paul was blunt to the point of being not nice. Look at Galatians chapter 5, he says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Wow, that's, the thought is pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? But he was so blunt and direct. Look, he writes to Titus and he says, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in their faith. He's talking about the Cretans who were lazy. Rebuke them sharply, he says. And then in Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? He was maybe pulling them up for the way they were living and telling them, You need to get your lives in order. And they were, Who are you to tell us? Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? He was being really direct. Well, we know from the account that Elisha went up to Bethel and as he was walking along the road, some youths came out from the town and they jeered at him, go on up, you bald head. Uh, twice, they, it is recorded, they shouted that out and he turned around and he looked at them and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord and then two bears came out of the woods and they mauled 42 of them. So there he has, and he was, he was a bald man. He was a bald man. I, he lost his hair. I don't know if it was by choice or if he shaved it or what, what happened. I just don't know. But they were jeering at him. And, and then the bears came out, two of them, and they mauled the, the, the 42 of these young men. Now there are some things to note here. First of all, that these were not children who were jeering. The word could include young men up to the age of 30. So the likelihood is that they were probably young adults and as such they were responsible for their actions. Now we might conclude that it was just a harmless bit of fun, 
It was actually a deliberate pursuit, a hounding of God's prophet. God's servant was being hounded by these. They wanted to intimidate and insult Elisha, and it was no laughing matter. It was actually a mark of deep irreverence. The mocking of true spiritual authority is a characteristic of all declining cultures. That's what we're seeing on our TV screens week by week today. These youths were showing a deep content for the supernatural power of God. And they called out, as he was walking along the road, they called out, go on up your bald head, they said, go on up your bald head. These young men doing something they shouldn't have done. And I think that it's very interesting. They, they said, go on up, your bald head. Go on up, your bald head. That could be a reference to Elijah's unusual departure in a fiery chariot. Remember, Elijah comes before Elisha. And God had taken Elijah up in a fiery chariot. So they were shouting, these young men were shouting out, go on up and it's possible they were uh, shouting out uh, putting God to the test let's see that chariot for ourselves go on beam him up send the heavenly taxi service swing low sweet chariot coming for to take him home we see a similar scorn around us today whenever God is powerfully at work they showed contempt for age and maturity. We don't know if Elisha was bald naturally or whether he'd shaved his head. We don't know, we can't say for sure. Sometimes balding is a sign of aging and failing powers. Sometimes it's viewed contemptuously, but all I would say is look, be very careful what you say about a bald man or to a bald man. We don't know. These young men likely would have seen the water supply Jericho cleaned up but they chose not to be impressed and some people are just never impressed and maybe that's why God says in Psalm 105 do not touch my anointed ones do my prophets no harm this was serious it wasn't a case of boys will be boys this was actually a form of spiritual rebellion and if that's what the young people were what were their parents like? What were their parents like? I wonder, could this spiritual ignorance and unbelief have been the root cause of the environmental problems Elisha had so recently cured? If that's true, then we must view with equal seriousness the mockery of the church, the Bible, and our Lord. Elisha called down and I think, and you may agree, you may disagree, that when we hear somebody taking the Lord's name in vain, that it's appropriate to say, do you mind not saying that? Because you're talking about somebody that I know and I love. It's interesting. I'd never before really considered that the root cause of environmental problems was spiritual. 
or the moral pollution. That's easier to see as a result of a sinfulness, but there it is. It's as clear as can be in the scriptures. So how do we respond to this? I mean, it's kind of interesting to sit and listen and hear nice, the odd little nice story and, you know, sort of Sunday morning's entertainment. But what do we do with it? Well, some folks will go home and have roast preacher for dinner instead of roast beef. But actually, we've got to get behind that. What are we going to do with this? What is God saying to us this morning? I think he's saying two things to us. I think first of all, he's saying to us, are you prepared to be an agent of change? And in our hearts, there might be just a moment's hesitation to keep well. What are you going to ask of me? Are you prepared to be an agent of change? And the second thing comes out from what was said earlier by Sheila and Graham. Some, some, somebody here might just not know Jesus. That's not your fault. is your fault if you continue not to know Jesus. Because Jesus stands with his arms out to embrace whoever comes to him. And maybe we feel, well, I'm not good enough or I don't need to. But we all need to. Because Jesus is the only way. There is no other. Father, we thank you very much for, for Jesus, for the love that you have. We thank you for your word. And, wow, its relevance uh, is sometimes scary. But you are an amazing God, a wonderful God. And we thank you for who you are. We, we just are filled with amazement, oh Lord, at the indescribable. folks around this world who are suffering. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would lock your truth into our hearts and help us that we might be a people who not only mark 